Well, good morning again. I trust you had a great 4th of July. You guys have a good 4th of July? Hopefully no one got caught on fire. That, that's, that makes for a good 4th if no one gets caught on fire, right? Uh, I had a busy day yesterday with Jimmy, uh, Pastor Jimmy mentioned us doing something at the MCA in, in Stapleton. So we were out there and getting torched by the sun, which is not good. Uh, and even with sunscreen, I think my sunscreen was old. It was brutal, right? But we're out there serving and very, you know, with him, a special thank you to those who came and served. Uh, but we went to some friend's house and, and enjoyed some barbecue and some ribs and all those good things. And when we got home to our house, it was like 10 o'clock at night. Now, all right, so our neighbors just around the street had some fireworks, okay? And I'm talking legitimate fireworks. And I'm not sure about the law in Colorado. I don't think, is it pretty sure nothing leaves the ground is, is pretty much illegal? Is that true? Okay, it's like California. I grew up in California. I mean, our 4th of July's were, you know, whistling peats and, you know, fountains. You know, it was like, whoopee, because that's all the stuff you could do. Well, somehow they had some pretty in- intense, illegal, I guess, right, fireworks. So we came up to this, and, and all the neighbors were outside. And we're just sitting under this, and literally it was, like, going right over us. So it was a, it was a great night, and because of that, I, you know, we had to enjoy it. We kind of almost it felt wrong encouraging them. You know what I mean? You're like, light some more. Is that... You've got them, light them. All right, go, you know. Um, but it was a great day. Hopefully you had a great 4th of July as well. Um, we're going to continue on our, our, our series, 52, with the, the walk-up video, A Year of Essential Scriptures. And the verse I want to look at this morning uh, is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So if you open up the center of your Bible, typically you find Psalms, and if you go to the right of that, you'll find Proverbs, and then you'll find Ecclesiastes. Um, and it's a book written by Solomon, King of Solomon. And he's full of wisdom, and he's full of insight, and, and he mentions throughout this book multiple times about uh, all things are vanity, life is vanity, you know, and, and for every season there's, there's a time, right? There every, um, let me read it. For every time, right, to be born, a time to die, and he goes on to plant, to harvest, and he has that, probably you heard that song from, the, um, that's the mamas and papas, whoever sang that. Um, very, yeah, I keep singing it wrong, but anyway, uh, so there's loads of, of information, there's loads of wisdom, and he gives us some insight about life, and he's talking about, um, you know, what he has observed, and he kind of concludes that life is meaningless to some point, um, and you're kind of like, well, that's not the greatest thing to be hearing, right, but he, he hits on some elements, and he says, you know, if we can find satisfaction in, how, in where we work and how we labor, that if we can put our hands to things that are good and we can enjoy those things, and he equates that to being a gift of God, it's the very hand of God. And he's saying it's the hand of God in your life. And that's the verse we're going to talk about. We'll read it here in a moment. But I was kind of interesting because a lot of times we'll talk about our community outreach and we'll say, you know, you need to come and be the hands and feet of Christ. Right? And for some sense, that's pretty easy to understand where, you know, well, we're going to represent Jesus, right? We're going to be his hands and feet and we're going to love and, and go the extra mile and turn the cheek and all these things, right? And help people on their spiritual journey. But the one thing that I was thinking about, because I want to talk about the hand of God, one thing that I'm guilty of, um, praying for us. I pray for us. I pray for this community. And one thing I always pray and probably heard me say it is, God, let us see your hand of providence. Let us see your hand moving. And I was thinking about it, because I was kind of chewing on this idea of hand and God's hand. What does it look like? What does God's hand look like moving in your life? Because a lot of times we're just consumed, right? We're focused on what we have to get done, whether it's a schedule, whether it's a difficult issue, whether it's work, whether it's just getting right, 
the, the kids fed and out to school or whatever it might be. We get focused on these things and we kind of, I think, lose sight of God at work in us. We can look around, maybe we see it in others or we see it in situations or we see it you know, in history. Uh, but currently, in your environment, right, in your circumstance, what does the hand of God look like moving in your life? So the verse I want to look at is taking, I'm going to use this verse, and typically I, I like to do expository preaching where we just kind of go through a verse. I'm not going to do that this morning. This is going to be more of a topical. I want to hit uh, so probably quite a few different passages of Scripture, just talking about different elements where we see God's hand, where the Scripture, especially the psalmist, mentioned the hand of God and what that looks like and what is being communicated. So in idea, I want to just take like six elements where we see the hand of God and what it looks like, could be looking like, right, if our eyes are open to see God's hand in our lives. And so this is the verse taken from Ecclesiastes 2.24. And if you would just stand with me as I read this verse, and then I'll pray for us. It says, nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. So let me pray. God, thank you so much once again for this time that, that we can come together, that we can Lord, worship you in truth and in spirit. Uh, Lord, acknowledging what uh, you've done, who you are, what you're going to do. Uh, we have faith in that, Lord, that you are active, you're moving. And I pray that through this message, God, you would impress upon each of us um, the fact that you are at work, that you are shaping, that your hand is moving. And I pray that you'd open our eyes to that, that we'd realize that, that you're not far off. You are the ever-present God, omnipresent. You are with us. And so I pray that, that uh, Lord, we would know that with confidence and with assurance. And we give you the praise, God, give you the glory. And I pray this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you for standing. So I want to go through some, some topical elements of, of how do we see or what it might look like in your life, God's hand moving. And the first one is in your, in your bulletin, it has this my, my outline there is uh, the hand of God. And the first one is creates. The hand of God creates. And I want to look at a passage in Isaiah, and it should be up on the screen, 48, uh, 12 through 13. It says, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundations, right? My hand has laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. So here out of this passage, we see a tremendous picture of God creating, right? And we, we've said this many times. God is the creator of God. We look at the universe. Hopefully, on your 4th of July, when you're looking up at legal or illegal fireworks that you would see, right, the stars and, and, and the, the vastness of the universe. And so in one sense, we see that God, when he creates, he has transcendent, right? So God created the universe. He set all the planets, everything in its place, and he just went, here it is, right? And so in one sense, we see God as a creator. He is transcendent. He's almost outside of it. It's like if you were to build, um, you know, a model airplane or, or something, um, I don't know why I went to a toy, but if you were to build something with your hands and this element of, of you being outside of it, right? You created it. You built it. And we see that out of this verse in Isaiah where he says, man, he stretched. He's created the heavens. So you think of, the, of the, the vastness of the galaxies. But on the other side of it, we also see that God is imminent, right? He works and moves and operates in the midst of his creation, right? So he just doesn't create this thing and walk away. He didn't create the universe and go, man, this is good. It's a good thing I made. I'm out, right? He doesn't do that. God is active and moving within it, right? See, even though he's the creator, we see this. Because God, in one sense, he has created the universe as cause and effect. 
Right? We know that tomorrow, what is going to happen? The sun's going to, well, it's not going to come up, right? The earth is going to spin, and we call it morning. But we know these things, and we can order our days. We can order our weeks. We can plan our, our months. We can plan our years, right? Because everything is cause and effect. The moon comes up. The tides come in. All these things, the seasons happen, right? Has everyone experienced that? Yeah, we see this happening. Cause and effect. I know that tomorrow's going to come, right? Unless God calls us home and takes us out or, or raptures us or whatever he decides to do. Right? Well, we know that tomorrow's going to come. So in a sense, we have this cause and effect. But yet God is also, and this is the relationship that we want to understand, is even though he's created this and he's outside of it, he's also moving within it. And that's important for us. Because he's not some impersonal creator who just checked out. He's active. And he's present, right, in our lives. And we have to realize that dynamic. Not only is he created, because we all mention that we are created. Right? We are created in his image. We are a creation. So he just didn't create us and then leave us to ourselves. He is active and he's moving. Can you imagine if there was no cause and effect, if there was no science, we couldn't measure anything, everything would be haphazardly done, you know, would tomorrow come? I don't know. If God wants it, you know, we would just be left to how are the plants going to grow? I don't know if God wants them. But we know God has set things in place. He set things in order. And it's interesting, on the flip side of that, even though this happens, God is not a God of location. Right in the sense where he's located only in one area. He's active in his creation. So it's important for us to understand that, that the hand of God has created us, and he doesn't check out from his creation. Right? He is with us. Psalms 102.25 says, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So as we take a moment, right? the last time you were looking at the stars, or if you were up in the Rocky Mountains, and you were enjoying Colorado, because Colorado is crazy beautiful, right? This is a beautiful state. I grew up in California in the valley, right? We're agriculture. So I didn't grow up in the pretty parts of California. So living here is incredible. It's incredible. But you have to realize when we see that, we see that the hand of God, the hand of God in creation, we will look at that. It's easy for us to say the Rocky Mountains, the snow, that's awesome. God did that. But are you this morning saying God also created me? That's the connection. We want to see these things. We also want to realize that he's not absent from his creation. So that's my first, my first view of, of the hand of God that he creates. The second one is the hand of God upholds. I've already kind of mentioned this, that God just didn't create this universe and check out. Right? He didn't just walk away. He upholds his creation, both conscience and unconscious life. Right? The plants, the animals, us. Angels, right? He sustains, he continues to uphold. The passage I want to look at is from Psalms 136, verses 11 and 12, and it says, And, and brought out of Israel from among them, his mercy endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, his mercy endures forever. Now that whole Psalms 136, typically we'll, we'll have songs that talk about that, they're just kind of redundant. And for the Jewish people, they would, they would list this psalm out and they would be remembering what God has done. It wasn't in this specific verse right here, uh, in verse 11 and 12, they're specifically talking about a moment in Israel's history. Right? So we're talking about how God upholds and how He's active. And for these Jews, they were, they were not just generalizing that God, you know, in the past, God has an outstretched arm or God delivered us. They're specifically attaching this to a moment in history where God brought, we call this the Exodus, where God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. So it's, the, the important thing for us 
in this, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, is that these Jews are realizing as they're saying this, they're being reminded. How often do, do you and I, do we forget that, that God is faithful? Do we forget that his mercy endures? Do we forget that he actually loves us? You know, we're quick to look at the situation, assess it for what it might be or what it may not be, and conclude that God can't love me or God's far away or God's not active. And that, I think, is, is true to life. I think we've had those moments where we experience that, to be completely transparent. It's like, God, where are you at in this situation? And here these Jews are saying, they're looking back, and they're looking at this Exodus moment, and they're saying, wow, look at, look at what God has done. And when we you know, attach our history and we look back in our own lives, we look at what God has done, what does that do for our current situation? We realize that God is holding us. Right? God is not absent. He is with us. For them, there was this, this, the deal with Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh, you know, Moses, God calls Moses. If you're familiar with this Old Testament story, God calls Moses. He goes before Pharaoh and he says, you know, the whole classic, let my people go, right? Moses probably said it with a, probably a real nice, deep voice. That's what I may think. But anyway, he comes and Pharaoh says, no, right? So, so the plagues come, right? And we have to have these plagues come because God's going to demonstrate his power. And he's going to show his people that he's in control, that he's in charge, and I'm going to deliver you, right? So he has these plagues. So the first one, he listed these out here. Um, right here, the first one, the water became blood. Right? Now, for me, if, if I'm Pharaoh at that moment, they're gone, right? You're get, yep, all right. I'm, I don't know about you, the smell of blood, the whole deal. is like, no, you guys, got out of here. And Pharaoh does that. At one point, he's like, yes, let him go. And then he comes to Moses and says, all right, we'll let you go, but, but, uh, have, have your God, have your God change this, right, and, and fix this. And so God relents, and he does it. He fixes it. And then God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and he's like, well, wait a minute. I've rethought this. I'm not letting you go, right? And, and the Egyptians were totally making the Israelites slaves. And so he goes through all these plagues, and God demonstrates his power. The next one is frogs, and then lice, and then flies, and then the livestock diseased, right, then boils, and then hail. How many of you have experienced some gnarly hell in Colorado? This is like times 100, right? Then locusts, then darkness, and then the death of the firstborn, which is the, the beginning of Passover. So these plagues, and, and what these Jews are doing in Psalms 136, the psalmist is saying is that we are remembering in the midst of, of this difficulty, in the midst of enslavement. In my current situation, I'm looking back into this history and saying, God has done this. That's right. His mercy endures. That's right. His mercy endures. And for us, as we... we go through difficult things in life, or we're not maybe not seeing the hand of God. For us, I think it's very important that we start looking back at what God has done. If we begin to see, that's right, God has done this. That's right, God has done this. And what does it change our, situ- our current situation? We become very mindful that his mercy, what? It, in- it endures. God upholds his hand, holds my life. And for you and I, we can look back and maybe our, our-, our walk with Christ is relatively short. And if you're a believer today, we can attach our history all the way to the back of the Old Testament because we are part of the church. We are connected to that. So that's part of our history. And we can look back at that and go, that's right. God has demonstrated his power. God will once again demonstrate his power. God once again will move. God holds my life. It may not look like the way I want it to. We can testify to that. There's many times we're like, God could show up right now. That would be great, right? God's, God's, uh, God's never late, but he misses, uh, what's that saying? He's... He's never late, but he misses a lot of opportunities to come early. Then we feel like that. God, you can come right now. That'd be great, right? But his timing is perfect. And in the midst of those storms and the situations, your environment, right, we can see God's hand because he, he holds us. We, by that knowledge, 
can be sustained, that his hand is actually at work. He is, in fact, with me. God, who is omnipresent, he is with me, changes our environment. And we begin to look at these things a lot different. So in the midst of a trial, right, in the midst of difficulty, these Jews are saying, let's look back at history, see God's hand moving, and be reminded that in this moment, God can hold me. He is, in fact, holding me. So that's my second point is God's, his hand, the hand of God upholds. My third point is the hand of God, and this is the one we probably don't like the most, is he disciplines. Ouch, right? We don't necessarily want that one. <laughs> Psalms 32.4 says, this is a psalm of David where he says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Now, about a month ago, I was in California. I've got a great visual of the drought of summer going on out there. Can you imagine feeling, having God's hand upon you where you just feel, oh, the weight, the weight of knowing, oh, I'm not doing what I should be doing, or the weight of knowing that, God, oh, there's some unconfessed sin. You know, I love this picture of the hand coming down. When I was a kid growing up, my family, we went to church, and we had Sunday morning service, and we had Sunday night service. And as a kid, I, I'd be honest, it's transparent time, I didn't necessarily like that, okay, because I was a young guy and I had to sit through these long services. I know some of you are like, I feel in the pain, Tyson, all right. <clears throat> but I remember in some of the Sunday night services specifically, I would, you know, if you were standing, I'd be doing the, oh, you know, kind of making in my own world, right? just kind of moving and dancing. And I would feel occasionally my, my father's hand, right? Some of you are going, yes, I've had this moment. My father's hand come on my shoulder. And it was like the immediate freeze button, right? You're just like, mm. Because in, that, in my reality, it was 50-50. At that moment, this is 50-50. This could play out good if I just freeze it and just get in line, or this could play out bad, right? Dad's going to throttle me later. And it's that moment of like the hand, of feeling the hand. You know, what's interesting to me about all these passages is that, you know, we celebrate or we worship, you know, who God is. And when we come and worship, we worship him in spirit and truth, but, but God is the spirit. So, so God doesn't have hands, but yet... The writers of, of the Old Testament, the New Testament, are using these, these symbols for us to see that we can relate to. We have hands, right? And I have this picture of, of my father. When it comes to me, it's my dad laying his hand on my shoulder, knowing that, oh, yeah, that's right. So sometimes in our lives when we walk through difficult things, you know, God is, is holding and he's holding us down. And the answer is, is, is maybe not now or, or you know, Maybe it's later, or maybe the, you know, and a legitimate answer is no. Sometimes that's, that's okay, right? But sometimes God is just wants, hey, he wants to calm you. He wants to say, whoa, 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 right? Stop swaying. Stop dancing, Tyson, right? Listen. And David equates this to, to a drought of summer. And he feels the heaviness and the weight. And if you've, you've studied and read of any of David's life, he had went through some tremendous things. But for us, remember, we're coming back. We want to see the hand of God in our lives. Sometimes it weighs heavy on us. Sometimes we, we're, we're not doing, and we know, I need to be doing this. Maybe there's you know, some sin where God's working on me. And I love that picture of the potter and the clay, right? This is my, my picture of when I hear the potter and the clay, of God being the potter, and he's taking this lump of clay, and you know, he's calling it Tyson, and he's shaping it, and he's spinning it. And there's times where he grabs me, and he just goes, what happened here? And he begins to work that hard edge out. And, you know, and we walk in life like, oh, my gosh, what's happening right now? You know what I mean? That's hard. And sometimes doing the right thing is difficult, but yet God's hand is upon us. 
And God desires, right? And this is a, a form of, of great love, right? God wants what is best for you. He has a better way. So sometimes it, it just needs to, we need to be calm. We need to listen. We need to hear, right? And move in the right direction that he wants us to go. So I think discipline is a very important part of what we're going through, what we might be experiencing. And in those moments where we're feeling that weight and it feels like the drought of summer, are we going to say, you know what, I don't want this? Or are we going to stop and say, you know what, this is the hand of God shaping me. He's molding me. He's taking some of the bad stuff out of me. And he's making me usable, right, for his kingdom, for his purpose. So the hand of God disciplines. Uh, my, next, my next point, number four, is the hand of God cares for his people cares for his people. If you were to take a moment and just look look at your hand. Just say, honestly, look at your hand. Think about all the things you do with your hands. Right? Think about how they're not the greatest or, or the biggest part of, of your body, but yet they are capable of doing tremendous things, right? There's tremendous strength found in your hand. And yet there is on the on the contrast to that there is gentleness. Think of all the rough and difficult things we do with our hands, and think of all the gentle things we do with our hands. The psalmist, in Psalms 31, verse 15, he has this play on these two, two dynamics. And he says, My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. So in one sense, we see the psalmist saying, My times are in your your hand, right? Remember, God is spirit. So the psalmist is saying, I want to wait for us to understand our lives being supported by the hand of God. My life, my times, my days, my existence is in your hand. But then he turns around and says, deliver me from the hand of my enemies. So we have this play, right? And men can do evil things. We can do evil things with our hands, which is unfortunate. It can be physically done or it can be mentally done. Right? And that's the equation. That's, that's what's happening in the psalmist is struggling with this. He's saying in one sense, my life, no, God doesn't have a hand. I'm trusting God that, that you will hold me, that you will deliver me, that you will be with me. I'm putting my faith, my confidence in you. But my reality is right now what I'm, I'm experiencing is the hand of, of my enemies, those who are maybe a, for whatever that situation might be in your life, who are difficult, who are painful, the things, the struggles, the concerns, the issues, the heartbreak. These things are consuming me. And we see the hand, right? This, this contrast of one over against the other. And a lot of times this is our reality, right? In the midst of difficulty, we see the hand of our enemies, figuratively speaking, and not God holding us, not God caring for us. It's interesting because in Psalms 37, I believe there's some insight for us. And it says, though he fall, he's talking about the righteous. In the New Testament, us, followers of Christ. It says, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him who, with his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. So the psalmist is saying that even in the midst of difficulty, God doesn't abandon. God is, is in fact, caring for us. It's how we look at the situation, how we address this, and how we approach it. We can look at, at, into the world, our circumstances, uh, and see as if God is, is absent or God is, in fact, acting. 
So think about that for a moment, because this is a beautiful perspective, what David is getting at in this psalm, which in reality changes, should change our world, change our environment, change the way we look at it. In fact, we look at the situation and we see that God is, in, is, is indeed caring for me, that he is with me, he's shaping, he has a purpose in this. Right? If he is the ever-present God, we're going to stand upon that. We're going to say that, that, that he is true to his word, and I'm going to count on that. Then we have to expect him to be there. We have to expect him to be shaped. We have to expect him to be talking and sharing and shaping and molding. That in this situation, how painful and difficult it might be, that God actually has He's got a plan for me. What does that tell us about our value? You are very important to who God is, right? Think of the universe and the vastness, and yet God is saying, I've created each and every one of you, and I have a desire and a plan for your life. I'm going to care for you. And it may not be what we desire. That's the thing. It may not be like, why can't I have this? Why can't I do these things? Why can't I do this? And if I'm standing for Christ in the, in the workplace, and in, you know, you're trying to do the right thing, why am I finding all the opposition? Why is this thing so difficult? Because our question out of this to me, I would imagine some of you are thinking, is what about the, the wicked people? What about those who don't know Christ? What about those when I look at their life in the workplace and it's like, man, they have none of these struggles. I'm trying to stand for truth, right, and have an answer to some difficult things and, and, and be an example with my words, my actions. I'm trying to do all these things, and it's difficult and it's hard, and, and I'm in this moment where I feel God is asking, yet yeah, we look at those who don't know, we go, look, man, that life is cake. It looks easy, right? And, of course, grass is always greener. I realize that. But it looks, you know, we want to point that finger. What about them? What about them? I think the psalmist fills the weight of that concern. In Psalms uh, 73, he says, verses 2 and 3, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, and my steps nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist is identifying with it. We're identifying with it. I would think at some moment we have to go, why is it, it seems unfair, right? If we were to look at Paul's life in, in the Old Testament, his context, we'd be like, man, Paul was incredible. But if you were to take Paul out of his context and throw him into this day and age, we'd be like, man, what a poor wretch. What happened to this guy? You know, he's been stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. And we go, that's not the American way. That's not, right, this, this victorious way. But we put him back in the context of the Bible and we go, man, he was, he was incredible. Incredible at the hand of God, right? I mean, used by God. And a lot of times in our situations, this is where it is. We need to open our eyes and see and look at, at how God is moving and shaping and, and making us. Because the psalmist goes on in, in, in that same Psalm 73. This is verses 22 and 26 where he says, I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by your right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail. Right? We go through hard times. But God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. And there's something that he communicates out of this psalm to us that should resonate deep. Is that God's work doesn't end for your life. For my life at death goes on forever. God's love, his care for you goes on forever. Not just now. He's going continually. It's going on for eternity. God's care for us. 
I think with this understanding, if we were to actually look at life through these eyes, and what I'm really saying is, in your situations, your environment, instead of looking directly at it, look up at God, then look back down upon it, and see that He has a plan, He has a purpose. It may not make sense, and as we live this life out, right, His sovereign will is always unfolding, and we see it, and we're okay, that's why. And there's moments where we go, ah, oh, yeah, that's why we went through this. I was able to do this, or whatever that situation may be, and how important it is to look back and go, yes. That's right. In this moment, when I'm not seeing or feeling or feeling God's love or his care or his hand holding me, I can look back and go, yeah, that's right. That's right. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. I know in this. I know in this. He's got a plan. And it carries us on through eternity. See, his plan for you just isn't between birth and death. That's it. For the wicked, that's where they exist, unfortunately. Right? Those who do not know Christ. This is why we should be active in in proclaiming this truth, that those might come, right, and have this faith and have the hope of eternity. It's not just. So God's plan, his purpose, his shaping you, this isn't just right here. He's bringing us to completion, right, into the day of Christ Jesus. So we can have a positive reaction, right, in the midst of a current difficult situation. If you think about times when, if you're out hiking on this, I love to use Colorado a lot. It's a beautiful state you all live in. Um, if you're out hiking with a friend or if, you're, if you have children, you ever those moments where you're coming across a stream or a slippery slope and the child, I mean, you know, or, or your friend or whoever, is about ready to slip and they raise their hand up. Or are you going to be the one that goes, well, wait, good luck with that? Absolutely not, right? You're going to grab that hand. You know, my boys, when they were young enough to cross the street, it was almost automatic. We come up to the street and it was almost, you know, with the hand, grab the hand, okay, we're going to walk across the street. Because there's situations, right? And that's our Christian walk. That's what God desires. In these moments, where are you crying out? Are you raising your hand to grab hold of him? Are you trusting in the fact of this mess, of this situation, my environment? I can sit there, you know what? He's got a plan. I'm reaching out and holding on to you. I know you care for me. It's demonstrated in the cross. I know you care for me. I'm resolved. I'm confident. I know who I believed. I know. And those are the reasons why we come and why we assemble together. We're reminded over and over why we take communion. Look at this gospel, this work that God loves you. He cares for you, and he just doesn't care for you once. He doesn't go like, are you good? Okay, I'll see you next year. He's continually saying, I care for you. I love you. What's going on? Let me shape you. Let me hold you. And it may not be the way we think it should be. But God has a plan and a purpose. So God cares for his people. My next one, number five, is the hand of God provides security. He provides security. Psalms 95.7 says, For uh, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. That sounds like a strange saying, the sheep of his hand, but it shouldn't be. Right? There's a great picture here given to us. If you think of a shepherd and sheep, right? If you look at the Old Testament examples of, of shepherds, what do they do when the sheep falls in, in the into the ditch, they use the crook of their staff, right? And they grab that sheep and they bring rescue, right? What if that, the, the wolves come to attack? Well, he takes that rod, right? He knocks the wolves away and he protects the sheep. So what does he do? He guides. So this picture for us is, is outstanding. It's, it's a commitment, right? Once again, that God is, is going to be with us. It's a commitment to a promise. He's committed to work not only in history, but your current situation on your behalf. I am protected. I'll be your shepherd. I will guide you, and I will rescue you, and I will deliver you from these evil things. I will continually do this. You know, what's amazing is that picture, right, of the sheep. Jesus grabs a hold of that, brings it right into the New Testament. In John chapter 10, verses 27 28, he says, My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Right? Here we have this, this picture. He brings it right on over. The second person of the Trinity, right? Of God the Father, God the Son, who is telling you, if you are a follower of Christ, I have you. You're in my hand. When you become my sheep, I will hold your hand. I will hold you. You will not be taken out of my hand. That is what he's communicating to each of us. I've got you. Right? Those are the great words we want to hear from the Savior. I've got you. Don't worry about it. So we see this dynamic, once again, of the gentleness of Jesus. I love you. I've got you. But yet, the, the security and the power of his hands. But Jesus takes this whole, he ramps it up a whole other step. He says, in order, to, in order to drive this truth home, he says in verse 29, right? My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So now we have colossal security. Jesus is saying, the second person of the Trinity, I hold you in my hand. Not only that, the Father, because there's none more powerful than him. He holds you right in his hand. Colossal. Think of it just a great adjective. Think of the most powerful, strong, titanic, colossal you know, word you can punch in there. That's it. That's the security we have in Christ. When he says, you come my follower, I will be with you. I'm not going anywhere. It's that moment where he says, you know, here, look at my hand, look at the scars, look at the, look at the, the pain, look at the marks, look at this. I'm with you. I'm not checking out. I'm walking with you. I hold you in my hand, the hand of God. He provides, the hand of God provides security. How can we rest at night, put our, our heads on our pillows and sleep in peace? Because he, we know he holds our future. Yeah, that's right. In those moments when I'm not thinking that way, we need to go, wait a minute. Look back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's what he said. He's got me. He's got me. And the last thing I think, and I'm sure there's more others, but just of, of the ones I'm tackling today, the hand of God invites. He invites. You know, it's interesting, before we jump into this, this idea of invite, you know, the, the parallel, I think there's this, this, this thing going on, because, you know, as God is a spirit, he doesn't have a hand. And so this, the psalmist and, and the Old Testament and Jesus using the, these ideas of hands, um, is, is contrasting it with the idea of, of the problem of idolatry. You know, in the Old Testament, they would go you know, out of wood or gold or silver, they would make, a, make an idol, right? And they would put arms on it, they would put some, you know, a face on it, and they would put feet on it. And so it's this contrast of these things kind of playing out. So in Psalms 115, verse 7, they said, they, talking about the little G, right? These, these idols, these little gods, they have hands, but they do not handle. They have uh, feet they have. But they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. So whether a god, right, little g, is made of stone or wood or straw or whatever they use, or it's a projection of our, our modern mind of idolatry, right? If we've substituted something for we think God should be this, in reality his word says he's not. That's a form of idolatry. That's in our mind. That's why theology and studying the Bible and reading it is important, right? But this contrast is, is played out. So even though these false gods have hands, right, they fashion hands under these idols, right, they can't move. They can't handle anything. They have feet that can't go anywhere, right? So you see the contrast of God who is a spirit yet attached these things to him, right? He doesn't literally have hands as an idol, but he is able to work in history anytime he desires it. He doesn't have feet, but he's wherever we need him. 
right? Wherever we are at, he is with us. And without a mouth, he is able to do what men do with theirs. That is, communicate through verbalizations. The gospel is proclaimed. We see it throughout history. And he has given us propositional truth in his word. We can come and know that this is truth. So Isaiah in 65.2, he says, talking about the, the idea of God inviting, I have stretched out my hands all day long to rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. So here we have this picture once again. If you think of God, you know, when was the last time you invited someone? Did you use your hands? Hey, come on over. I would think that. It's kind of like this God stretching out his hands and saying, hey, did you come over? I mean, is that the picture you see? God is opening his hands, saying, come, I invite you. It's like this natural gesture, I would think. And I believe God is constantly giving us this invitation. He isn't just once I gave you this invitation. He's continually saying, come, right? Come, taste, see that I'm good. Come, knock on this door. You're going to find me. Come. We see it throughout the, 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 the scriptures. Come. His hands are wide open. Come. And so wrapping this message up, so this, this morning, if, if, if you're not a follower of Christ, if you don't know him, then my questions would to you would, you know, would you respond to this invitation, this invitation of an outstretched God, his hands were outstretched to you? You know, will you give yourself? That's why I titled this, this message, The God Who Is There. And I, I'll be honest, I took that from Francis Schaeffer, The God Who Is There. Would you give yourself to the God who is there? He is there and he is active and he's moving. And he desires to open our eyes that we would see. He's acting in history. And for us who, who this morning are followers of Christ, you know, I would I would urge you to remember this invitation. You know, life is hard. It isn't, you, know, you have to live a day in this world to realize it's tough, right? Remember that God's hands are wide open. He desires for you to come, to bring these concerns, these cares, come to me. They're wide open. Come, constantly come. You know, often in scriptures and in our own lives, we're, we're kind of labeled the rebellious people, right? I've got this, God. I don't need you. I'm going to do it my way. Right? We sing songs about it. Frank Sinatra did, right? God did it my way. And we unfortunately take that a little bit too, too much. And God is saying, I've got my hands wide open. Right? Hear his call. Hear his voice. Come to him. It's a gesture that, that is always open to us. And so as, we, as I wrap this up, I just want to pray for us this morning.